Hi everyone, yes, we're back for more. You're listening to George and Charlie off the bridle. And for episode two, we promised you a special guest, and we have one. Thank you for joining us again. Welcome back to those who got the message in episode one. And a big hello to any new listeners. Of course, we're very glad you've joined us. I say us, this is the podcast of new market trainers, George Scott and Charlie Fellows. And I'm Tony Rushmer, here to help get the guys from start to finish. Also in the room is Carl, the man with a thankless task of producing us. So, George, Charlie, hello. What have you guys been up to since we last convened here at the King's Head in Dullingham? George. Hello, everyone. Um, well, lots have gone on in the last couple of weeks. Um, regrettably, Charlie and I have managed to spend plenty of time together, um, which has been which has been fun at times. Uh, one 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 particular trip to Kempton um, springs to mind in the sense that we both had runners in the same race. Um, having not really discussed it much, I hopped in the car and just managed to persuade fellows to um, to drive me down there, and uh, he promptly was getting on his phone to uh, a series of friends and uh, punting his horse galore, weren't you? Uh, well, I was going to say, yes, even more regrettably, neither of us have had a bloody winner over the last fortnight, but there we go. But you've had considerably more runners, to be fair. I have, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, no, we, uh, George, I had the pleasure of having a runner in the same race as George. Uh, we decided to share the trip to Kempton together. Uh, he was his usual rather tedious company. Time must have flown. Hey? Oh, God. <laughs> the M25 is bad enough as it is, let alone when you got him as a passenger. Um, Actually, but... we were talking more about music than horses. Yeah. Charlie's a big music man, and um, and I was asking him who the latest bands are, and he's got me into the, into the Foles. Foles. They're called Foles. They hate it when you call them the Foles. <laughs> I know that from personal experience. <laughs> well, you're best mates with them, are you? Very good mates, He yeah. battered me this morning when I used some out-of-date oh. reference. Oh. I said, oh, you know, we'll rock out on today's episode. He absolutely slaughtered <laughs> no, me. He said yeah. that is a term that hasn't been used for about 20 years. Paul. No, you do. Actually, on a serious note, you, you are a big music man. And we, had a, we had a nice trip down and I got to know Foles. Um, um, in between conversations about our, our runners, in the, we had we had both had a runner in the same race. Charlie's horse, um, to skip a long, a long story, uh, ran very well, but was what he thought was cons- very, very unlucky. I thought he was only mildly unlucky, but probably should have won. And my horse was probably in the same boat, drawn 13 to 13 and hit the front and finished a good second as Charlie was back in third. How much ground did my make up in the straight? Yeah, plenty of ground, but about plenty of ground. But, but I think he's probably a horse that probably wants to be held up. He looked a bit gassy. And... <laughs> you talk. So. No, but my, 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 my horse was drawn 13 or 13. If he'd he... had a good draw, he would have won by half the track. See, this is the thing where you and I, you talk some nonsense when he... Anyway, we'll put that one behind us. Put that we'll one see behind. how many he wins this year. But I beat you. Yeah. So it was a good start to the season it, for me. It was fantastic. <laughs> I was over the moon. It made the journey home even more enjoyable. Um, and then, yeah, no, we've had it. We've had a good laugh. And a great friend of ours, Billy Jackson, stopped organised um, a boys. I say with the fingers in the air, boys dinner on a Tuesday night, uh, which which was a bit of a strange night on the on the um, best of times. But um, he drove all the way to Berry and picked up a cottage pie, uh, which was particularly uh, delicious. Although he has a waitress next to him, but we we're all waiting around, and Charlie um, Charlie was the last man to join. And it, we were getting later and later and we were wondering where he was. And someone had said, well, I have spoken to him. And he said he was on his way. 
Um, so I'll let Charlie take up the story, but he he turned up rather bedraggled, at least half an hour late. What happened, mate? Yeah. So, so um, we got a very nice invite, and I uh, before in the afternoon, Billy texted me his address, and I sort of I must have looked at it fleetingly, and sort of then put it back in my pocket, and and something stuck in my head, and afterwards I realised what it was. But I sort of had the address in my head and I decided that I was going to walk there because it was just around the corner. And just as I left the house, it started raining. So it was pretty miserable already. Anyway, I get to the house or where I thought he lived and I knock on the door. No one answers. Knock again. Again, no one answers. I'm just about to walk away. And the door opens and uh, sort of welcoming me was a, uh, a lady uh, wearing just a towel. Um, normally this would have been fine, but I actually knew the lady. I'm not going to say her name, but I knew the lady in question. Young lady. Young lady, yeah. And um, I also trained for her mother, which makes it even more awkward. Anyway, in my head at the time, you're a bit flustered because it was the last thing I was expecting. And I'm thinking, a bit strange that she lives with Billy, but not going to, obviously it could have happened. So... She says, she says, oh, you're lucky you just caught me literally as I was getting in a bath. I, and so as I walk in, I say, oh, don't worry, don't mind about me. I'll go and find the guys. And she sort of turns to me, looking at me like, as if I'm completely barking mad. And is like, sorry, which guys? Who are you talking about? And I was like, Billy, I mean, he's having dinner here. And she's like... I don't know who you're talking about. I don't live with a Billy. And <laughs> he's already sort of in the I'm, kitchen by this point. I was in the kitchen Barrowing by this point. Yeah. How did you extricate yourself from this rather perilous I, position? As you can imagine, I was... I deal with embarrassment uh, particularly poorly. Uh, I went to sort of crimson uh, shade and uh, apologised profusely uh, and realised that actually the street where I was meant to be. I, I lived on the street where, where the house was and the other street I also lived on and I'd, I'd confused the two. So that was, um, that was slightly awkward. So, was, so you turned up late to the... So uh, I turned up late to dinner, slightly um, stressed and, <laughs> uh, yeah, all over the shop, really. But, hey, it was a very nice dinner. It was a good dinner. It was a good dinner. We, I, I slipped away quite early, but I think... Mr. Eustace, Harry Eustace was. I think they dug in until the until the wee hours. So did they? Yeah, they did. I think they got to bed at one o'clock, two. O'clock. Really? Yeah. And oh, they didn't. Apparently, Billy produced a bottle of whiskey at twelve o'clock. I mean, but he's a bloodstock agent. Yeah. So, he, so he's that's not a surprise. Yeah. So guys, we've been racing together. We've been socialising together. Have you two spent any time apart since we were last convening around this table, George? I have. Well, I I I. Um, slipped off to on holiday with my my wife for her birthday. We went to LA. Um, As you which, do. Ah, <laughs> very nice. Let's teed that up. To be fair. Yeah. Business um, class. We're at the back. Back <laughs> of the plane. Get to the point. How did it go? Good trip. Yeah, good trip. Fantastic trip, and actually a really, really nice place for me to go back to, having worked out there. Um, lots of lots of friends, particularly Simon Callahan, who has done incredibly well. Um, moving from Newmarket to to California, and so went to the track. had a, had a nice time with him, and actually had lunch with him, which normally lunch with Callie sort of rumbles on to supper. So we went to stretch our legs, and we were walking along and bumped into uh, um, the heavyweight boxer Deontay Wilder, 
who surprisingly enough, considering I sort of hunted him down for a photo, uh, was very pleased to stop and talk. And we had a good talk chat with him. And I, mm. I love my boxing, but I wouldn't have the, much knowledge on it. I managed to sort of splurt out like when when's the Joshua fight going to happen? And he said uh, that they were trying to organise two uh, two legs, one here and one in America. But anyway, I was I, he walked Exclusive. away. Exclusive. Yeah, there you go. You heard it here. <laughs> I was so frustrated though because Richard Spencer, who's already getting a lot of time on this podcast, amazingly enough. Um, <laughs> too much time. <laughs> way too much time. <laughs> too much time. Uh, well, He's that's... never coming on as a guest. <laughs> <laughs> he managed to get um, Titan Fury um, to... Um, uh, commit to, to signing up, well, effectively allowing him to use his name for, for a racehorse. And it would have just been so brilliant if I would said to Wilder, now listen, would you mind if I named a racehorse after you? And, um, and, and then, you know, in Dreamland, they met on the track. It, would have, it just would have been a great story. And it was a real missed opportunity. And it really annoys me. Did, did, you, leave, did you leave the poor guy without him feeling that he'd been somewhat stalked, Scott stalked? Uh, that's definitely debatable, but we we I got the picture. So very good. Any other travellers' tales from while you were out there? No, Charlie. What have you used that much? No. no, no, I haven't. I'm off to Dubai next week. That's my trip. Oh, that's good. Yeah, very cool. good. Well, that's enough of you two. Uh, first up, um, we have our very first guest, and without further ado, let's introduce him. As alluded to, yes, our very first guest is in the building. Um, shall we give him a big build-up? After all, he is a man whose career has really flown this last couple of years. Um, no, let's not. No, I'm not going to do that. Suffice to say, our guest is a man who, by his own admission, was once called a, a lunatic by Her Majesty the Queen. To find out exactly why, at some point in the next 20 minutes, half an hour or so, it's time to introduce the one and only Mr Ollie Bell from the ITV Racing Team. Ollie, chuffed you could join us. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to be here in the King's Head. Uh, the start of something very exciting for you guys with the podcast. The first one was, was terrific, so thanks for asking me on. Did you catch the first one, really? Genuinely, yeah. I listened Liked to it. it. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Hence why I'm here. You gave me about an hour-long critique. <laughs> as of, oh, my God. It's All nice right, to get we you. Know you work on, we know you work in broadcasting. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. No, but it's nice to see you. You're 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 incredibly busy, and it, and we we had to put this in the diary and, and tie you down. Yeah, it's been a busy time of it with Cheltenham last well a few days ago, and then Aintree to look forward to, and then the, as you guys know, and I'm sure you've just dis will discuss over the next few weeks, the flat season is basically upon us because straight after Aintree it's the Lincoln, and then you're into the heart of it. So uh, it's a pretty pretty busy time for us, but it's also the time of the year that I enjoy the most because. For the flat, every sort of dream is still alive. And the jumps racing, the dreams are coming true, really, with Cheltenham and Aintree in this period. So it's the, the best time of year. And, and I think you saw that on the Cheltenham coverage with reactions from the winners, just what it means to people in the industry to have winners at, at big festivals. In your eyes, is Cheltenham better than Royal Ascot? Which one do you sort of prefer? Uh, they, they, they bring different things. I'm not going to sit on the fence. I, personally, I prefer Cheltenham. I think it's... Um, it's for, for me, I think the atmosphere at Cheltenham is the reason why I love horse racing. I think when you look at the reactions from the winners, and there's a variety of different winners at Cheltenham, uh, and you see the enjoyment in the crowd 
they absolutely love the sport, whether you're in the, the Guinness Village, the, the Magnus Orchard, whether you're just in the stands, wherever you are. The Magnus Orchard. Yeah. So What's I've been, that? I've been on the Magnus Road to gold, actually, so I thought I'd get that. <laughs> <laughs> they actually have apple trees in there. Yeah. Uh, and so where, wherever you are in the stands, you, you can walk anywhere at Cheltenham and someone will talk to you about a horse, a jockey, a trainer. And I think Ascot brings a lot of different things, but I think sometimes that doesn't necessarily come across at, at Royal Ascot. But then there's more of a fashion, a social event at Royal Ascot. So as I say, it brings different things, but I just, I love Cheltenham. Talking about fashion and Royal Ascot, you, you did some rather uh, saucy modelling, a modelling shoot for Royal Ascot, didn't you? Those waistcoats, those yeah. pictures were circling around. Yeah, another ambassadorial deal with surplus waistcoats. <laughs> uh, Henry Hales, who's some a friend of ours. Particularly yeah, awful he made me. So this is about six years ago, and uh, he got me to go to some flat in London and I had to model a waistcoat. But it was, I mean, modelling is incredibly uncomfortable. Um and it shows. Tony, you probably know actually about it. Sorry, George and Charlie might not, but it, but it is. Fellows knows nothing about fashion. He is literally the scruffiest oik of all time. Like how he gets himself through five I, days of raw basket is beyond me. I was gonna. I was actually gonna say I may not be the best person to critique someone's dress sense. No, I mean, but the what were you wearing last week at Cheltenham? Some of the stuff you wore. Oh, I saw wearing red trousers. So debatable. No, red no. trousers. Okay. Uh, there was a cream, yes. long cream that coat you wore that was the very debatable. The and on the first you. day, you wore this beanie that made you look like you were 14 years old. And I was like, come on, okay. mate, you can't wear and that. And just to set the scene for the listeners, Charlie is currently abusing me wearing a Nike hoodie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dirty trainers. Dirty, yeah. He always has oh, dirty, dirty trainers and jeans, which are too tight around his It's thighs. very difficult to get your attire right at those festivals because the weather, one minute it's hail, then it's snow, then it's sunshine. So you have to plan for all, all weathers. And it was just an amalgamation of a load of different outfits. It didn't necessarily work, but hey. I'm glad fellows did raise that jacket because I must admit the Frodon interview was for me one of the best bits of sporting broadcasting I think I've, I've certainly seen in connection with our sport but I couldn't help I kept looking at the jacket that's sort of, sort of beige three quarters like car coat totally, yeah. oh, do so, you have a stylist so, so, no do they let you get away with <laughs> really that no, I mean, do you, do, what sort of goes into your presentation do they say come on Ollie not today <laughs> clearly a lot more after this <laughs> podcast he's always been a dodgy shoes man as well but you like pointy winkle he's glad he came on now yeah this is fun the Frodon interview Tony that you, the, yeah let's uh, go to the Frodon interview um, great moment the thing about that was that honestly and I said to I said to a lot of people after it that what amazed me about that and I promise you anyone could have done that interview you just needed to be you just needed to have hands and hold the microphone to her mouth essentially because Bryony's words were the best I've ever heard anyone pretty much in any sport actually describe the feeling of winning and that relationship with the person that they are taking part in the sport with and if you read the quote that she gave, and there was, it was printed in the paper the next day, I promise you a scriptwriter wouldn't have been able to write better words. And that is immediately after she's won the biggest race of her career. It was, and I remember walking around down at the bottom when, uh, during the interview, just genuinely being blown away. And I could hear people in my ear, there, there were people, I'm not joking, people were crying in my ear listening to it, who worked on the ITV team. Cheska on the podium started crying because it, it brought back, I think, for so many people, lots of different emotions. Maybe the first time you ever sat on a horse or the first time you, you built up a relationship with a horse. It was kind of national velvet-like. And I don't want to degrade what she's saying by making it like Hollywood. But it was that level of emotion that you saw borne out. And I wish 
that more people in the sport were able to explain the feeling of winning like Bryony because I think that would go a long way to selling what we do and the sport that we love. Did you feel um, privileged to be on the inside and that close to that testimony? Oh yeah, 100%. I th the thing is, I think about the, the Cheltenham coverage this year, or not the Cheltenham coverage, but the results at Cheltenham this year, is that it, it meant people at home felt like they were on the inside. I think that's the hope with any sort of broadcast, whatever you, whether it's this podcast or a newspaper, you want to feel like you're part of the action. The best writers make you feel like you were there. And I think because of those stories, everyone felt like they were on the inside. And the fact that I was sort of firsthand listening to it was a real privilege. But I, I'm, I know it sounds a bit cheesy, but I genuinely think that about going to work every day, really. It's so so lucky to be able to talk about the sport we love for a living and speak to people who who love the, the, the same thing as, as we all do. Like it, we're friends outside of racing, uh, George, Charlie and, and you, Tony. But I think that yeah you know racing binds us together but but we have connections outside of it but the fact that we all have that similar connection is is brilliant i think yeah i was gonna say with us with you you've been a great friend of ours for so long and uh i don't think that for, from our point of view necessarily we we, we take we, we take you for granted in the sense of what you're actually doing but to be standing down there at the you know after the finish line in front of a million people and mm. and conducting those interviews the way that you've done um, it's you know it's pretty extraordinary. It's I've grown up a lot, and I'm proud of you. Couple of hiccups. <laughs> couple of hiccups. You know what? The worst thing about yeah, this is. Can yeah, I yeah. just say? Can I just say one thing? I, I the Frodon interview was fantastic. I loved it, and she was wonderful. He's blushing. But I know where he's going with this. At Royal Ascot this year, 2019, when I win whatever it is, if you come up to me after the race, and the first question you ask me is wasn't that fantastic George's win in the race <laughs> two races before like you did to poor Lizzie Kelly poor Lizzie. I promise you the Ray TV ratings will go through the roof because I'll probably lamp you <laughs> <laughs> I'll explain that did you know what after that um Bryony interview obviously t Twitter went bananas for it and it reached the front pages of the paper the next day not the interview but Bryony's win and so there was lots of people saying what a brilliant interview it was. And I reiterate that. That was genuinely nothing to do with me. That's all down to Bryony. The thing that I beat myself up about more than anything during Cheltenham is that I asked two of the worst questions imaginable. <laughs> and it's a bit like a footballer. You could score a hat-trick, I suppose. And then if you miss an open goal, in the dressing room afterwards, you're not set, sat there going, oh, did you see my second goal? You're well, I'm, there. Glad you, I'm glad you think you scored a hat-trick in Cheltenham. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's we'll, a bit like We'll decide how many. It's how a bit like. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. Carry on, sorry, else. It's a bit like a scoring a hat-trick. Uh, and then I missed an open goal. And the, the, the worst thing about that was that in the production meeting afterwards, I was so annoyed with myself because the question that I what asked... What were the two questions? Sorry. The question I asked uh, Lizzie was, two, as you said, I think it was two races, might have been the race after, two races after Bryony. And we're about to go off air. So they're going, be quick. And the horse is walking away. I've got photographers down there. That's not really an excuse. And I said, just... The, the, all I said was, just can I get a word on Bryony's achievement? And I got so much abuse on Twitter, justifiably, actually, because that was Lizzie's moment. She's ridden another Cheltenham Festival winner. The problem was the point wasn't the worst thing to sort of get Lizzie to talk about the achievement of the sort of female weighing room on that day at Cheltenham with Rachel having success earlier in the week. But the way I sort of asked the question was, 
Oh, and just quickly talk about Brian. If we can. <laughs> how amazing is Brian? How amazing is Brian? Is. <laughs> you so can I, see how it happens. I understand that, yeah. and and it's it's absolutely infuriating. I did text Lizzie straight away before I checked Twitter because I know that that's not cool. Basically, did she? Did she? Did I mean only you had the moment with her when you looked her in the eye? Did she sort of look at you like? Oh, well, like, you don't really need to be told, do you? That that's not. The well, at least you're, you're man enough to just come up and say it. I mean, for yeah. Course. And I, so I text her, and then I checked Twitter, and I got so many people, and even. Like a week later, those fellows hammering you on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, on his eight thousand different accounts, <laughs> he's got a lot of time on his hands. <laughs> he does. I, he rants, doesn't he? I know. Yeah. Oh, exactly. If it's not Australia, it's my questions. Uh, Hang on, I was on your side. I I supported okay. you in Cheltenham, so yeah. I'd be very nice. So then, so then I text her and then I check Twitter, and even a week later, I had people being like, "Oh, how dare you ask that question." So anyway, I'm thinking, right, put that behind you. The Bryony interview, the viewing figures were amazing on ITV. Loads of people watched that brilliant moment for our sport, in our sport. Fantastic. It gets to the Gold Cup and Paul Townend wins. And he's sort of, well, he is definitely about to cry. And I'm thinking, this is quite emotional. And so I say, Paul, you're clearly quite emotional. Why are you so emotional? And he goes, well, I've just won the Gold Cup on it. <laughs> 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 and I went, yeah, fair, fair point, actually. <laughs> kind of makes sense now. Glad we got that covered. But the, the worst thing is those interviews when they win big races, when Charlie, George, whenever... The, the hardest interviews are ones where they win big races because I know why he's emotional. He's emotional because he's just won the Gold Cup, which we build up as the pinnacle of the sport. And so it's clear that that is... But what... What do you say? I mean, that is my job. Well, that's what you get paid. Not I know, I know. Five million. <laughs> I know. George, I know. a couple of minutes ago, George alluded uh, tongue-in-cheek to how you've grown up in the last two years. Um, I'm wondering if he was referencing that day at Ascot, the lunatic story yeah. that was. Um, set the scene for us, Big Orange, and tell us why, if it did happen at all, the Queen referenced you yeah. as a lunatic. I didn't make it up. That would be probably, I'd get... Taken to the tower if exactly. I was making up Queen stories. It was a magical moment for I think from everyone's point of view, but I would let you carry on and tell the, the aftermath is more because we yeah, all yeah. saw it happen. Yeah. So what happened was I was down where the jockeys finish, ready to do the winning interview, and it was the race itself was a phenomenal race. Even if I had Ascot no Gold Cup. Ascot Gold Cup, big I orange. I was going to win it. Big orange against <laughs> Prince of Aaron came cruising at one stage. <laughs> <laughs> Made up fifteen lengths at the end. Yeah. Bit unlucky. Yeah. Uh, big orange against Order of St George and. I can't see where I am, who wins. I can only hear the commentary in my ear. And Richard Hawes' commentary on the race was brilliant. And he said, Big Orange sticks his nose out and wins or something. So then in that moment, because I think because it was such a close finish, I, you don't have time to sort of prepare the victory. And so I dropped the microphone and chased after Big Orange, only to realise after about 20 strides that he was much quicker than me. Uh, looked round, the cameraman was like, mate, you've got to do an interview, pick your microphone up. I got that brought over to me. Did the interview and it was lovely. And Taffy and Gillian, who look after the horse, were crying. James Doyle was buzzing. Nick, my cousin, was running in after the horse. And it was, again, look, I know that I was involved in it, so it sounds incredibly self-indulgent and I'm mindful of that. But that moment for sport, for our sport, was so good because at Royal Ascot you don't always you get quite a lot of the same winners who are quite used to winning on the big stage so to see connections absolutely like forget who they are where they are and just showcase genuine genuine emotion sport is brilliant if it's great athletes and pure and real honesty and emotion and I think in that moment you got that anyway someone else noticed that not just the ITV cameras or the viewers but Her Majesty the Queen so my dad 
the night before gets absolutely wrecked in the car park, stays in his car. What, uh, sleeps in the sleeps car? in the car. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't Magic. even, he works for Ascot TV as well, so he's deeply unprofessional. I, however, went home and to the, um, to the meetings and whatnot. I had a few drinks. The next day, we're going to a break on ITV, and they've, the Queen's got a runner in one of the races. So the wire cam, which is an amazing camera over the paddock, is on the Queen and Ed's about to go to a break. So he goes, and there's Her Majesty the Queen who's got a runner in the whatever race it was. And I walk into shop because uh, Johnny Weatherby, I think, came over to me and goes, someone wants to meet you. And I kind of knew then it might be the Queen. So I'm thinking in my head, right, what do I say? How do I meet her? What's the protocol here? Um, so I walked over. All right, Liz. <laughs> That's not what I did. <laughs> take the hat you have off. that in your locker, though. <laughs> take, take the hat <laughs> off. Surprise me. Hello, Your Majesty. Majesty. Hello, Your Majesty. And I can hear in my ear the show going on. So I can hear her going, oh, oh God, that's Ollie with Her Majesty the Queen. And she's talking to me. I'm listening to the programme. So I kind of don't, and it's a massive blur. And she goes, oh, you're the lunatic that ran on the course. And I went, yeah, I'm so sorry about that. And then it is the Queen's race course. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So of course. She's, yeah, you can trespass <laughs> And my dad, he, he commentated on the race, the big orange race for Oh, uh, And was wonderful. It was the wonderful most commentary, commentary ever. You'll ever hear. He goes, go on, Big Orange. Like, come on, win, Big Orange. Just get over the line, Big Orange. Was it? We ought to just <laughs> clarify, Ollie's father, Rupert, is, of course, brother to the winning to, trainer, yeah, Michael yeah. Bell. Um, so, so his commentary is really And my first question to the Queen, which is remarkable, was... I don't suppose you listened to the talk sport commentary of the race, did you? <laughs> um, no, Ollie, I didn't actually, funnily enough. Uh, so, so that was, the, and then dad came over. I told the queen that dad stayed in the car park. It was all like, I just completely forgot what I was doing and who I was talking to. And yeah, in hindsight, I'd do it very differently. But actually, it was a memory that myself and our family will have for the rest of our life. And it was, it was the best two days at the races I've, I've ever had. So yeah, it was first class. Ollie, can we talk candidly about the ITV racing team? I know they're all sure to be a great bunch of guys, etc. But yep. tell me, what's Chapman like to work with day in, day out? Do you know what? Matt Chapman is, he is, for an, an audience member, I think it would be fair to say he's a bit marmite. I think he'd say it in his own words. You either love him or you hate him. To work with, he is incredibly good at his job, first and foremost, because what he provides the, the coverage and our team is invaluable basically because you need spikes when you broadcast and Matt provides various spikes in the coverage. So you can go from a fairly mundane paddock on a quiet Saturday to Matt who's got 80 punters behind him and he's yelling and he's jumping and slipping off rails or whatever. And I think that creatively, I think what the one thing that I've learned from ITV, and I think it will be true the bigger you get in any operation you do, whether it's training horses, uh, being a jockey, the the bigger you get, the sort of more responsibility you have. And I think we're all aware of the responsibility we have. And not that I am sitting on the fence, but there is across the whole board a real creative desire to achieve the best programme possible. And with that become, comes creative differences, I think it's fair to say. But that's not unhealthy. I think that's really healthy, actually, because what we are wanting to achieve is the best product um, possible. And so he will, having had 20 years experience in broadcasting, have slightly different takes on how he broadcasts and wants the programme to be broadcast. I think it's very obvious from watching it that we have slightly different broadcasting styles, but with that becomes a really healthy balance. So to answer your question, I know I've answered that in a very long-winded way. I really enjoy working with Matt. He's very good to work with. And to be honest with you, what he provides the show is, is so important to what we're trying to achieve. The, the whole team look like they get on really well. 
So we we are actually, and genuinely, I know that we are yeah. we are all um, a team. It comes across on air, but we do get on very well, and and actually that's across the board, really. And you've missed out, to to my mind, the best commentator in racing. He's, I think he's one of the best is, commentators in sport. Wow, to be he's so good, isn't he? He yeah, captures yeah. those moments and really. He ramps them up and just takes you higher. If you think about all the the good commentators across all sport, I think Richard's now right up there as one of the very best. Yeah, he's fantastic. The the ITV team genuinely do get on very well. It's kind of true with everyone, though, what I was saying about Matt, because I have disagreements would be the wrong word, but I have differences of opinion to Ed, to Luke, to Jason. But as I say, we're all mates and after the show... We all have a big drink. And that's the one thing. We all meet up on a Friday night. We all have dinner and production meetings. Um, we work, we have phone calls on Tuesday. The, the ITV product, everyone sees it on for the three hours or whatever. It's on air on Saturday. But we're in constant communication with everyone. We are basically going on like school trips essentially every week yeah. with each other. So Close-knit. It's been enormously success. It, hopefully. I mean, hopefully people enjoy it. But, but you are going to, in that environment, have times when you get frustrated or you can't get what you want on air or whatever it may be. And I think that through it all, for us to be as close as we are and as good of friends as we all are, and I'd say that and I mean that, we are incredibly close as a group. I think that comes across on air. But I I think it's probably our biggest achievement, to be honest, because we have won awards for the coverage. We amazingly won a BAFTA in our first year, which is phenomenal and a great credit to all the team. But I think the fact that two and a half years on, we're still mates with each other and and getting on as well as we are i think is down to a lot of people's hard work but also the the team that they assembled i think i, I think i read somewhere that you were referenced as racing's hugh grant is is that is that true did you cringe was that like oh what um i don't i haven't read that are you talking about me or <laughs> yeah it's you again charlie housewives favorite some of this stuff we, that, yeah. do you get recognized a bit um if you, you, you ever have a few interests i've never asked you this. the best you thing is uh, a little bit but the best thing is um, the funny moments are when I, I actually don't get recognised, but when I'm with other members of the team who do get recognised. <laughs> so the other day I was with, um, with I can't remember who it was, Ed maybe, and someone went, oh, great, great stuff at Cheltenham. And then they went, oh, Ollie, were you on the coverage? It was he didn't see the bride in. <laughs> uh, and things like that. Yeah, you do a bit, actually. And to be fair, the more since ITV, obviously, you get recognised a lot more. Um, but not, I, I mean, I could, yeah, it's not like I can't go to Waitrose anymore. Let's give Ollie a little moment to catch his breath. The other side of the music, we'll find out a bit more about Ollie's life. First time I met Ollie, he was nowhere near a race course. In fact, he was flailing away with a cricket bat. In fact, that does him a bit of an injustice. Um, Ollie's pretty effective with a bat. We played a few times together in the Newmarket racing team. George was there as well a couple of times. And I think I remember you, Charlie, rolling in off about 20 paces, bowling quite quickly. Um, but before we get to Ollie's um, fast bowling, uh, I do think you, you were always one of the, the first names on the Newmarket Racing 11 team sheet. Cricket, your number one passion outside of racing? Um, cricket and football, probably. I used to play a lot of sports at school and coming to Newmarket when I lived here, which I did a few years ago. You'd be a real prep school sportsman. Really <laughs> He's a proper batsman. He's a seriously great eye. Great eye <laughs> Good, football. good. Not great. I mean, no, he's, he's good at our level. I mean, he's, yeah, our he's level. not He was good for 50. No, he was Socks good for pulled 50. up to his knees. <laughs> he, Pristine he a, white shorts. No, he, he yeah, he's yeah. got one of those cricket bags that literally have to deliver in a van. It's so <laughs> Yeah, that's bats. true. No, but he was a good team man. Good team man and good for a 50. Thanks. At our level. 
<laughs> football I played quite seriously in Australia and then we played five a side back here actually when I was living here so that was good fun but cricket obviously now is the sport that I would probably play most and it's great fun the racing 11 in Newmarket is terrific and um, a great opportunity just to catch up on a Sunday and, and play cricket I actually didn't know Charlie that well when he first played against us actually I think for whatever reason... Assistance 11 against the Racing 11. Racing 11, something yeah. like that. And um, we were just getting to know each other and it's probably my most... Well, my biggest achievement on a ra on a cricket pitch was the time that Charlie rolled in and he did have the socks rolled up to his knees and the Radley colours badge on his... On his <laughs> the Radley baggy cap. <laughs> the Radley baggy cap. Yeah, he did. Which he like yeah. nicked off someone at school. And you know how like you, before a cricket match you go, oh, you any good? Do you play a bit? And Charlie's given it the absolute I am and gone, yeah, pretty quick actually. Not for the first time in his life. <laughs> pretty quick actually, if I'm honest, Ollie. I've probably still got the, 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 the 80 miler in the locker. Well done. You have you're not being invited again. <laughs> so, so down he trundles, waddles down towards the, the bowler's mark. Waddle, a waddles bit harsh. not very fair. Bit, I'm harsh. quite an athlete. So You're he, not, mate. He I, charges in after telling me that he can bowl pretty much 90 mile an hour. Courtly Ambrose. Yeah, Kurt, Courtly Ambrose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know why I went for that one. I Courtly, you've mashed up two of the greatest fast bowlers' name of all time. Are you going to have gone Courtly safe Ambrose. and gone to the flint off or something? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, a bit like Courtly Ambrose charging in at me and then midway through. And it was one of those moments, if it comes off, you look a hero, and if it doesn't, then you look an idiot. But literally, as the ball is in the back of his hand, I go... Well bowled, Charlie, and hit him for six over his head. It literally yeah. hadn't even come out of my hand. <laughs> and he just said, I just, I was about to release the ball. He said, well bowled, Charlie. And, yeah. Sporting highlight for you, I should imagine. But to be honest, I've done that to various different people and been bowled straight away. So it does, I was just so glad in that moment, given the, the preamble from Charlie that it came off. But cricket is one of my passions outside of racing for sure do you remember that All game sports, really. do you remember that game with scott really annoyed i think i can't remember if it was haggis or dunlop or simcock or one of them by taking guard about four yards outside yeah, of yeah, the hopping crease yeah 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 they but were wagged up would have been haggis, haggis i can't very remember that's, that's the old school sort of method you know when the when the tracks are a bit dodgy you get up the wicket i but i think i was I got four you got runs out, I think. yeah you got runs that day yeah but it I didn't mean, half wind them up yeah, yeah, but Haggis you know, someone fun. doesn't make a lot of runs when they remember getting forty not out in a game. <laughs> <laughs> I got forty not out in that game. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's good fun actually. The cricket and actually there is quite a good sort of um, new markets community. I mean, in the winter everyone shuts down, but there's various things. It's, it's... Do you still play the football up here? We oh, haven't played for a little while. I think it does happen on the cricket. So for my stag do, uh, we played cricket. Uh, up in Leeds and we um, you can do something called playing with the stars and we got uh, Matthew Hoggard ex-England cricketer <laughs> to come and play indoor oh, cricket with us <laughs> so there's a whole load of us anyway as I, it was my stag do as a stag I had to do a forfeit halfway through which was facing over of Matthew Hoggard bowling full pelt inside with a hard ball Anyway, he so the first he's a bit cocky and he's I'm I'm not a good batsman. I'm a worse and batsman a than I am. Big bowler. target for him. And quite a tall target, thank you, George. Uh and he says, Where would you where do you want me to bowl it? And I said outside off stump. Anyway, I promise you, I no word of a lie, the first three shots I played were the most beautiful cover drives you've ever seen in your life. And it was probably the biggest mistake I ever made, because the next three came down short and at my chin oh. I got out of the way of the first two 
And then the third one, he knew exactly what I was going to do. And he followed me down the leg side and he broke my hand. No. And he caught, I literally, I, my, I had my hands up around my chin because he dug it in deep and it caught me on the hand and, oh. he, and he managed oh. to break my hand. So two weeks later, you got married with a broken hand courtesy of Hoggard. It was actually, I think we did ask my snag do quite a long time before I got married. So I was okay. I don't want to go into it. Good story. I, I was actually away for Charlie's wedding, but there is a particularly funny story about the vicar passing out halfway through the service. No way. Did you not hear this? No. I, was, I, I must point out I was invited, but I wasn't there. They were both invited. Ollie had to commentate on some boxing. Oh, yeah, because we haven't got didn't into come, Ollie's sort of, sort of side hobby of Which boxing. was pretty much the end of our friendship. You must quickly tell the story. <laughs> it's cut it, okay very cold genuinely don't it was know. a really 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 hot day and we're get, get vicky and i are getting married and we're at the top uh and we're doing our vows and the vicar says do you charlie take victoria and as he's doing that he wobbles <laughs> shouldn't laugh and <laughs> Anyway, Will I, are you all right? And he goes out to the little side room, has a drink of water. Everyone's like, what on earth is going on? Comes back out and we're like, are you okay? Like under our breath. And he's got a microphone on so you can hear everything that's going on through the church. And, we're like, and he says, yeah, I'm fine. And he's gone pale, like sheet white at this point. And he starts again and he just, he goes, like literally falls over. We catch him. And take him through to the room. And on the microphone, you can hear all this clattering. (laughs) All the people in the the congregation are like, what on earth is going on? Did you get a ship in? Did you get a replacement? No, no, no. No, I love it because I asked you then what happened. Surely you took him to hospital. No, no, no. He was adamant. He didn't want want to go to hospital. So we sat him down. We took off all his robes. wearing out 500 robes. And this is one of the hottest days of the year. We took off all his robes. I can imagine just big sweat under the Lit- purple. Like, ridiculous. We got my best man then took over. And like, so we, we were like, well, look, let's do all the bits that don't involve the vicar. We'll do the singing. Well, he we, took over as... The he sort of- took over as like the... Uh, took, sort of in charge. So we go out. It's like, look, we'll go and sit down. We'll Take buy him some there. time. We had a doctor in the con- congregation. We'll get some water down him. Get him cooled down. And we'll carry on with the rest. So we go out and Vicky and I go and sit down where we're meant to be sitting. And my best man, who is an absolute star and uh, did so well, came out and he comes, he says, right, um, slight issue with the vicar. <laughs> he's, he's, um, he's under the weather, but we're hoping we're going to have him back for later. So we're going we're gonna to do the hymns and we're going to do the prayers and then hopefully he'll be ready. So if everyone could be upstanding and sing, I vow to thee my country. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's and fantastic. we went on and he came out and, he, and we sat him down right at the end and he did the vows and we'd signed the register and we got away with it. But he, the poor guy was not well for a couple of days afterwards, but it was Heathstroke. But at least, so, you got, at least he married you. Heathstroke. Yeah, Heathstroke, yeah. <laughs> at least what he a... married you because you've got to take these chances when they come. Well, I know. I mean, Two days down the line, it could be a whole different story. <laughs> very true. Especially, yeah. Very good. Did we, did we touch on boxing there somewhere? Did I hear the word boxing we did and, and Ollie? Ollie, yeah. Ollie's now... This, well, we, we no one really sees it because it's sort of late at night. It's sort of like ITV9 and sort of Ollie's <laughs> Bond presenting, but I do see you promoting it through. Yeah. So I presented last year, um, I'd presented football, boxing and darts for ITV, which was great to have a crack at doing other sports. It was obviously when the World Cup was on. So the Mark and Jackie Oatley, the main ITV sport presenters were where, where elsewhere. But I got a, a shot at presenting the World Boxing Super Series last year. And it led me because I hadn't, and anyone that knows me will know that 
that I've never been in a boxing ring before in my life. Like I've always followed boxing, but I decided to have a charity boxing match last year, white collar fight. So I knew a bit more about what was going on in the work that goes into train. And I did three, three minute rounds and it was possibly the worst. How many rounds did you last? I've lost on points. I lost, oh, you lost on points? Yeah, I didn't get knocked oh, out. I thought you got brutal knocked out. as well. God, you did well, I have to yeah, say. It is, God, it was brutal. but, but I, at the end of it, so the first round, I saw the judges cards. I won the first round. The second round I ran after him because my trainer, Nathan, who's a really good mate of mine now, he was like, you're winning this. So like, and he had a bloody nose and he was like, go for him. So then it was like kiss chase around the ring. Like me, like, come <laughs> yeah. here. I want to get you. <laughs> I want to hurt your nose again. <laughs> and then I was so tired at the end of it. Then the third round, I would rather, and I'm not joking, this is how tired I was. I would rather have got hit in the head than lift my arms up to my to defend myself like I was that knackered and then 30 seconds before the end I said to the guy I got the guy I was fighting wasn't the guy I was meant to be fighting he'd fought before uh, yeah you had a ring in so the guy I was meant to be fighting a friend of mine pulled out two days before so I had some guy who'd had like fights before and I looked at him with 30 seconds to go and managed to sort of breathe the words like please stop hitting me out. So like, <laughs> really? That's how tired I was. I was like, please, honestly, mate. Stop Patrick. We've all like, everyone's raised a few quid. <laughs> it's really hurts. At least he said, please. <laughs> Could you stop no, battering the crap out? And the first time I sparred, uh, this just shows how I'm not a boxer I am. Um, the trainer, we had a sparring session. They got some sort of Latvian heavyweight into the ring to spar me and show me what it's like to get hit in the head. And it, oh, it hurts. And I hit him and I was going... Oh, sorry. Every time I hit him, I was apologising. And he's like, mate, you really have a lot to learn because this is not boxing as I know it. Oops, um, sorry about that. You're Beg right. your pardon. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They, they it say Hugh Grant it's there. the most um, energy sapping of all sports. I mean, it's you saying three rounds and you're a fit guy, does a lot of sport. And yet after six minutes into the seventh, you were like... Yeah, yeah. I was gone. So uh, Deontay Wilder, who George referred to earlier, and all those heavyweights that do 12 three-minute rounds, the fitness that they have is phenomenal. But in terms of training, I'd hate going to the gym. And when I was playing sport and whatnot at school and all that stuff, never, ever would I want to go for a run on my own or lift weights on my own or anything like that. But boxing was the first time I've ever done any training that I actually genuinely loved. Like, it was good because you're learning something new. You're actually, like, using your brain as well. And it's... It is a real craft, what professional boxers do, and I've loved covering it. I did um, my first show with Nassim Hamed and Duke McKenzie on ITV. And Nassim, for those boxing fans that are listening, doesn't look like the Nassim Hamed that I knew when he was sort He's of a, a unit now, he, isn't he? big lad. And we order a takeaway. <laughs> I shouldn't probably say this, but um, we got a Chinese in. And because um, during the fight's quite long, so obviously, and it's during from seven o'clock, I think, till midnight. So you get food in. And um, I think Nassim ordered a couple of crispy ducks from the Chinese <laughs> <laughs> and then polished off my crispy duck and Duke's crispy duck as well. So he had four crispy ducks along the way. But uh, working with those people who I like admired and Nassim was the one that got me, the guy that got me into boxing, I think. Working alongside them was like first class and doing other sports like football, um, albeit that it wasn't the, the most high profile game, but g being given the opportunity to do something to do other sports is is a, um, something I'm very grateful for and absolutely love doing. Will we see you doing any other sports going forward or is it going to be racing focus from now? No, to be honest with you, I'd like to do other sports. I'd, I see, see myself and I think most presenters, a lot of presenters would see themselves as... A lot of people listen to this, so you can use this yeah. as your... You think you're going to be on the F1 circuit, don't you, next year? <laughs> 
think I'm thinking more sort of catchphrase. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, I do think that I, even though I, I'm sort of intrinsically linked to racing through my name, I guess, having my uncle as a trainer and dad working in it, etc. I see myself and always has, I've always have seen myself as a TV presenter who knows a bit about racing. And therefore, I think I wouldn't really restrict myself in taking opportunities if they came in, whatever that is. But um, doing other sports is great because um, sport is probably the biggest passion of mine and the thing that kept me from getting expelled at school, basically. Well, expect the phone to ring off because, as Charlie just said, lots and lots of people listen to this. Smash it podcast. Loads of, loads of follow-up calls. Uh, we're going to have a break now and then we're going to come back and we're going to look ahead to the 2019 flat season. I think it's high time we looked ahead to the start of the flat season. We're almost there now, chaps. Um, how well are preparations going with the respective uh, teams? Um, oh, look, it's a great time of year because you're just starting to gallop the horses. I took a load down to Waterhall, which is a really nice grass gallop that doesn't only get used at this sort of time of year last week. And they'll take a whole load down again this week. And it's they're just starting to stretch their legs and this time of year you're always dreaming like all the dreams are intact and then in about three weeks time they start running and they're all smashed to smithereens but, yeah uh, you've had um you've had a few runners horses your horses have been running really well it's so, well, that really frustrating thing it sounds a very obvious thing to say but as a trainer when you've got the, hitting the crossbar left right and center which you've you've been doing but at least I always think those horses that are running well they turn themselves into winners don't they it's much better than them not running well yeah yeah we know we have it's been a good start to the year we just as you say we've hit the crossbar a lot of times and I don't like I'm not a big fan of all weather racing I just think that you need so much luck and a good draw and just hasn't really fallen right for us uh this winter and a lot of them have kept on hitting the post but they're in a good place and um, they'll start winning sooner or later. But, um, yeah, Lincoln round the corner. And yeah, we've both got a runner in the Lincoln. Both got a runner. I think. I think my plan is to run another bat. Obviously, we, we spoke about him briefly um, on our last episode, on our first episode. He's done really well since he's come back from Dubai and obviously haven't done much with him. He'll retain a lot of that fitness, even from the six weeks, the gap around six weeks, four to six weeks. So he'll only do one piece of work. And I would think of a, a, a rating of 107, which was what he was on when the weights came out. He's certainly going to need to be claimed off. So um, we'll be looking to claim off him. And Horses horses that have wintered in Dubai have a very good record in the Lincoln. Yeah, I mean... It's so a big I, advantage. Isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they come back and healthy from a nice bit of sun on their backs and... And yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll have a go at that. But he's not an overly big horse and he's going to have to lump quite a lot of weight. So we'll see. But Charlie, Austin and the XL boys are really keen to get him to the Hunt Cup at Royal Ascot. So I've, I've kind of learnt with him, if I give him a short break, a short spell that he can, he can sometimes regress very quickly. So I've kept him on the go and we'll keep him on the go until Royal Ascot. Mm. Chief of Chiefs has had a run as well. He ran with credit in the Winter Derby. Yeah, he's... Um... I, uh, this is not going to surprise George one bit, but I actually think he's going to run, run a big race. He's going to run a very big race <laughs> next Saturday. There we go. Well done. <laughs> um, he is a very, very, very talented horse, but he's quirky. He ran off the track at Windsor mm. as a three-year-old um, and he has got his quirks. What he has been looking for is a big field and a bit of cut in the ground. And 
we ran in the Winter Derby with the uh, objective to get his mark up enough so that we could run in these big handicaps mm. like the Lincoln, the Hunt Cup and stuff like that. Lingfield would not be his track at all. It would not suit his style of running. Uh, but I knew that if he could run well enough in a race like that, the handicap would put him up. And as sure enough, he went up from 92 to 100, which now gets him in. And I think that a place like Donny will really suit him in a straight, big field. Right? You can bury him, get him right in, in amongst them and give him something to aim at. And he loves a bit of cut in the ground. So I'm actually really looking forward to seeing him run. I've, he's a horse that I've always, always, always liked, but a lot has to go right. But I'm hoping a straight track will um, will really suit him. And a big field, big field will be the key. Well, sounds like your horse, Charlie, is uh, one for the each way list, potentially. Uh, the favourite in the race uh, is Orcs Zare um, from Godolphin, Charlie Appleby. Five to one uh, favourite uh, with the bookmakers at the moment. Big improver last year. Um, I think it won its last three. Uh, what do we think? It seems short, it's short enough price for... Um, for a race of that nature, but having said that, um, we, we've seen we've seen quality horses win this race before, and then it's it's there's always there's always a really quality horse in the race at a short price. They don't always win, but it's normally the way the race is made up. Charlie's horses have been, you know. They always say that you, for these big handicaps, you want you want the group horse running in a handicap. Last year, obviously, a Dave won it. He was a genuine. He was actually a Group One horse running in a handicap, and he hosed up. Looking at the race this year, there is really only one horse in there that could be a group horse, and that is Orcs Air. For me, he he hasn't done enough to warrant that label. I think Adabe Adabe won the um, the Cambridgeshire Constellation race quite impressively, and he looked very progressive. Oxair hasn't got that profile. He's obviously, Charlie is everything he touched at the moment is gold, and he could easily be that horse, but it's he doesn't have the same... Although he's very unexposed, I'd like him to have done it in a more competitive race. And it's going to be very tough coming into a Lincoln against seasoned handicappers. Is, um, it, is it not interesting that um, Prince Carl Abdullah and Roger Charlton have decided to keep Blue Mist in training as a four-year-old? Um, horse is 12 to 1 in the race. And Roger has got a pretty sure touch uh, at these big handicaps, hasn't he? You know, uh, I would say that's quite an interesting decision. That horse is kept in action as a four-year-old rather than sold at the back end of the three-year-old career. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly a trainer that lets horses progress at their own time. And as a result, you know, we do see his horses um, improving year on year. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether the horse will run. Um, I haven't spoken to Harry or his son, Harry, who, who's always an absolute wealth of information about everyone's horses. Um, <laughs> so so yeah. I, I guess Charlie as well, we'll probably send it, shoot him a WhatsApp in the next few days and find out. But as you say, um, it's, it's unsurprising that Roger would keep a horse like of this nature in training. And he'll if he lines up, he'll certainly be a horse that will be uh, looking to be very, very competitive. And those Chubbmont families, they can't half improve. Um, as they get older with the winter on their back. So he'll be he'll be pretty dangerous, I would think. Ollie, we're going to have a, a word about horses to follow. I'm going to ask the two guys in a moment. Um, any horses on the flat that have kind of caught your eye that you're looking forward to seeing run again? Well, there's a race from Newmarket in September that I think will pay to, well, it already has proved uh, worthwhile to, to follow. I think the Guineas is obviously too darn hot to lose, in my opinion. That would be 
very boring to, to give him as a, a horse to follow, but he, he looks first class. So one thing I would say for anti-post backers is I wouldn't be sure whether he'd get the derby trip. So just be sort of tread carefully with that. But there was a race, a maiden at Newmarket over a mile in September that was won by kick on yes. for John Gosden and Ashim Murphy. Yeah, humanitarian for John Gosden and Frankie was second. Constantinople was third. Bangkok for Andrew Balding was fourth. And Magic Illusion for Charlie Appleby was fifth in that race. Um, Constantinople went on the third that day to win by 10 lengths at Thurler's next time out. Humanitarian won after that. Kick on actually ran an eye catching enough race in the racing post trophy, I think yeah, it was. Finished fifth um, or sixth. What's he by? He's by Charm Spirit or something. Isn't he? he is. Yeah. He is by Charm Spirit. Yeah, yeah. They thought a huge amount of him. Yeah, I think he's out of Marika. He's a Margie mare, um, if memory serves. So, um, yeah, that, that race, I think, well, as I say, Constantinople's a horse that I was really impressed with at Thurler's. And he's around about 25 to 1, 33 to 1 for the Derby. So that race, I'm sure, will prove worthwhile to follow for three-year-olds coming into this season. I'm glad you picked out Constantinople because the horse in that race I'm going to pick out is Humanitarian. Yeah. Horse that was second, then went to Lingfield, won five lengths. A little bit of an emotional uh, attachment because he's by Noble Mission, who George uh, was very much involved in the training of when uh, the horse was at Warren Place, trained by Lady Cecil. Um, so I've been watching his stock. And humanitarian, I thought that was a good first run that day. I think Frankie rode him when he comes second in that hot maiden. And let's mm. be honest, boys, those new market maidens at back end, you can you can get a hot maiden. Yeah. I mean, they're yeah, not all they're not all. Re- re- no, they are. I mean, as that, Ollie's quite. Has right. a noble mission just started a Group One winner in America? Grade One winner. He's no, he's not a Group One winner, but he's signed a, a, a legitimate Kentucky Derby contender right. with Baffert. Was it Baffert? Uh, no, I don't think it is Baffert. I think it's on the East oh, Coast. Yeah. Anyway, he's doing. But all right. uh, no, but he's a side of, uh, going along well. On the dirt. Yeah, he's he's to me. I mean, I, I wax on about it. He really, to me, will, has every chance of being a, 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 a proper stallion in the sense that he was a full brother to Frankel. He was a triple Group One winner in his own right. He had a lot of speed. He, I, I would have think he would have won the lock inch if we'd managed to persuade them to stay in training the following year. Um, so he had the speed for a mile, but with a mile and a quarter as well. But um, he's stand. He, Chubmont sold the majority of him to Lane's End. Yeah. And uh, he's made a good start um, so far, as you say. And your 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 horse to follow is by by him. I've so got a nice do you, filly. Do you, do you do you like him at thirty three to one for the Derby? Because I think that looks you know. I mean, I would be nice lying if I if I could outline the Derby market right now. But I I remember the horse and like yourself, follow the Noble Missions, and he obviously he was he's quite he's quite a nice prospect for sure. From your own two yards, Charlie. If you were trying to pick out a couple or wanting to, mm, with well, these three-year-olds that are just coming through, I'm going to tie in beautifully with that form. Uh, my well, I think I'm hoping that my horse to follow this year is a horse called King Oscar. He won a Newbury Maiden first time out. Uh, not very many of mine win first time out, and he won pretty impressively. And then he ran against Kikon, who won that Maiden in the Racing Post Trophy, and he finished seventh in that, just behind Kikon. They went really, really hard in the Racing Post Trophy and the all of the inexperienced horses, so the horses that have won first time out, finished in the back four, including my fella. And I just think he got caught out for experience that day. I like him a huge amount. His work so far has been pretty good. He's just started galloping. So did the- he gallop on the waterhole? He galloped on the water. He galloped on Waterhall last week. That's and he exciting. Had a, he had a blowout on the Alba this morning, and he'll go back down Waterhall uh, this Saturday. And where's he starting? Possibly the ten furlong conditions race at Newbury for the Greenham meeting. On the is that the Friday? 
Yeah. What does the sorry? What does the water hole? Water hole is a gallop in Newmarket that opens in the spring, and then when the main lime kilns gallops, which is where the sort of biggest grass gallops in Newmarket open, they don't open for a little bit. Waterhall then closes. So. Waterhall is at the far end. Yeah, it's quite unique. Fields, and it's kind of a start-off point yeah. for a lot of the big trainers. Is exciting? Is that because... It's exciting. No, no, it's just... Uh, ex- good horses. Ex- yeah, exciting to have. I mean, I know how highly Charlie regards that horse. And um, as a trainer, it's been such a long winter and you're just... Like, it's exciting that you'd be dreaming of getting these horses. Would that mean that he's quite forward in his training if so he's doing that As work? a colt, he never left. A lot, of the, a lot of the horses, they leave the yard, they go and have a little winter holiday. Um, he stayed in the yard, he never left. And as a result, he's a bit further forward than a lot of them might be. Um, and yeah, he's well on track to be ready for that. If he's not ready for that, then we might look at the derby trial at Epsom as being a backup option. Um, but he's going to want cut in the ground yeah. that's going to yeah. be the one big proviso with him he's by motivator and I'm sure he won on heavy ground at Newbury and he's definitely going to be uh, aided by soft ground George any thoughts um, yeah I was just saying to about, just about Charlie there I mean in, in the sense of is it early for these horses to be to be out and training no the, the, the Guineas horses Aiden's horses in Ireland I mean I can't speak for Aiden but Mr. Gosden mentioned that his horse had breezed a couple of times. If you're going for the guineas, you're up and you're in full work now, aren't you? You're galloping. Especially right. so those not big early, colts. It's not early. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I've got, um, I don't have a horse quite like King Otto as, you know, with the profile of him this year. Uh, we'll miss James Garfield, who obviously we, we retired to Rathbury. Any chance to get James Garfield in there. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, you know, he was a quality animal. Uh, <laughs> he was, but this year, George, George, this year, <laughs> this year, yeah, this year, we've got, we've got, we've really have some nice horses. I've got two that I like. There's a horse called Reloaded, who um, he won a he won a Pontefract maiden on his second start, and then he ran in a quite a hot novice at Yarmouth, and he clearly wasn't right. He's done really well over the winter. I might start him at Redcar um, early next month. But if he's if he's tearing the tearing the trees out of the ground, then he could go to a, a Newbury handicap. But everything for me with him is the Britannia for him, and everything is will be worked back from that point. And I guess I will talk about him, his progression on this, on the podcast. What's he rated? Has he got eighty five? Okay. So, so you're you know, looking at that seven furlong, not to hundred at Newbury. Yeah, I've got one for that. I'll win that. <laughs> <laughs> is is the is the Niarcos, um is the Arcos horse still with you, Gilgamesh? Is that yeah, he's still, still with me. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's um, he's he's choose he's due a result that horse, and he's a he's a real family favorite, uh, real family favorite. Yeah, that seven furlong race is um, excuse me, the um, the race at Newbury is notorious, isn't it, Charlie, for being like literally the hottest handicap this side of this side of the season. So I'm not sure I'll go to that unless I'm really going well. Can I ask? A, sorry to chip in. Can I ask a question about that? Because obviously on um, obviously on ITV recently, the, the field sizes and ARC and boycotts were, were in the news. I'm sure that the prize money on that Newbury handicap is decent, but why as trainers do you run, say you've got one for that Newbury handicap and you've got one for that Newbury handicap, then it's worth, I don't know the numbers, but say it's worth 20 grand to the winner, for example. Why not you run at Pontefract on a Tuesday 
and then you running the Newbury handicap and then the field sizes are a bit more spread out rather than, I know that's not the cure, but do you see what I mean? Why does everyone go target like certain races? And then you have like quite a marked difference between some, Chelmsford, for example, there was a sprint handicap the other day, five runners, I think obviously prize money at Chelmsford was very good, but then you'll see a very competitive sprint handicap two weeks later and it's got 25 runners in it or 20 runners or whatever it is. So why are there certain races that trainers like to target with their good horses when you could have more opportunity of having winners elsewhere. I think trainers are creatures of habit a lot of the time. There's a lot of, you know, there's races that I think if you've been training 20 years and you've had a certain amount of luck with one race, you're going to keep on going yeah. back there and bring a horse back there. So it's probably as simple as that. They're also quite superstitious trainers. So there's a target. They, you know, you, mm. you want to map a horse out for the season. And if you've got a route that is tried and tested, you and has worked often you're quite keen to go back and do the same thing but yeah and yeah th that's certainly that but also you know the quality of the track and you know for certain owners and and, and newbury you know is renowned for being a, a a prestigious track and 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 gives you probably a for a good horse gives you a fair idea of where you're where you're ending up and location as well yeah. you know you send your horse to red car it's a very long way away and newbury's a bit closer and but I, I think probably more the quality, the quality of the track, and and also they they often can put on a bit more prize money as well. But I'm not going to be tied down to my prize money comment because I appreciate that smaller tracks often are even more competitive than the bigger tracks. But I I would just think that the sort of prestige of the the, the track and the quality of the track and the distance is probably and and with the good good horses that you have, do you want to put them against stiffer competition earlier on in the season so you know? roughly what you're dealing with or would you rather they fall into two brackets don't they really like you know with a good horse like you know king ottaker or you hope he's a good horse or like james garfield last year um you definitely want to chuck your hat in the ring and see where you're at because yeah. you want to use it as a stepping stone but then that's part of the art of being a trainer then you've got to put you've got to run your horse in the in the you know in their best races for them mm. you know the best possibility for them to win the race and that's why i said about reloaded like i'm not going to commit to where i'm going to run him if i'm pleased enough with where he's starting out um then you know it's pleased enough with where he's working then we might head to red car but if he's working great then yeah we go to newbury but for me in that individual case all all rows lead to a nice handicap market royal asker but to so do that, you're gonna I could do that. Races. Yeah, I know, but I could run a really big race or at Newbury and go up six yeah. pounds, and suddenly I'm rated 91, 92, and I'm going to get in off the bottom of the Britannia. Whereas I might think I need to win two smaller races. So right. I think Charlie and I both actually probably pride ourselves on the um, the mapping of horses' careers. Mm. Don't just turn up and run a horse for the sake of it, especially a medium to a good horse. You know, we're, I'm thinking two, three races down the line and working back. So that's probably a that's probably one of the most enjoyable parts of oh i love job, it. it i love you sitting down and leaving like a puzzle ahead and i love that that's what we're doing at the moment we just started doing that you're just yeah. going through it Sit you're down. working out that's where i'm going to start then it runs crap so you have to change the whole thing and <laughs> luckily you've written it in pencil so it's all fine you can rub them out do you do that again. with how many horses would you do that with where you'd have a genuine like essentially a season mapped out uh, no you wouldn't i wouldn't have a season mapped out you can only do that really with a really good one right but i you'd work sort of Two, three races. Two. Yeah, two. two I have a wall chart in my office because my memory is not great. I've got other assets. I have a wall chart in my office with the six months ahead of me in like big, big squares. And so I'd have jots all over from now until September. 
with horses written all over the wall in different dates. And obviously, as you said, they get crossed out. But in my mind, I've got a mind map on the wall of where the horse are. And as you said, this time you're starting to write things in, you get a bit ambitious, and you write this in, you write Royal Ascot in. So you've got a map in your mind as to where these horses, it's not just a coincidence. That's oh. fascinating. Is your memory bad? No, it's not bad, but it's a lot to take in. Do you, you remember, know? for example, key dates? I can remember key, <laughs> key dates, like your wife's key dates, birthday. Like, yeah, well, we, we, How I, did that go the other day? I did, well, it was Polly's birthday on, um, on month, Tuesday, what day does it say? It was <laughs> Polly's birthday on Wednesday, Wednesday and it, uh, it was on Monday. And we were obviously in LA and I was probably, I was probably just very jet lagged. Anyway, I, I, I hadn't made a big deal about it being her birthday and the lead up to it. So I knew that it would be a nice surprise if I organised a big breakfast and knocking on the door and sort of chat wheeling it in. Anyway, so I yeah, organised a big breakfast and sort of woke her up at 7.30. She was exhausted and wheeled in this amazing breakfast with cake and everything. It had like the happy birthday like written on chocolate on the plate. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, happy birthday, chocolate cat. And she actually doesn't eat chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a, and yeah, I got the day wrong. Good. It's a day, <laughs> the <on> day early. <laughs> well, on that note, um, we have got through at least 20 minutes without talking about Richard Spencer, which is good. Yeah, we, that's good. We, we haven't got through an episode without talking about James Garfield. We'll promise both next time. No Spencer and no James Garfield in episode three. Um, thank you uh, for listening to episode two. We do hope you enjoyed it. Um, all that remains from all of us three is to say a big, big thanks to Ollie. Really appreciate you. Top thank, man, Ollie. Thanks for, yeah, come, great thanks for letting stuff. me on. That's really, so, really good. all goes well. Um, and to thank King's Head Dullingham for hosting us. Fantastic. Fantastic. They've got a new chef as well. And I'm, I come here quite a lot and the food's better than ever. So we're about to sit down and um, taste it. Thank you to Carl Home from Cambridge TV for producing us. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Bridal Podcast. And please also subscribe so you won't miss an episode. We look forward to you joining us again in just over a fortnight's time when it will be the Craven meeting. Thanks, everyone, and goodbye. <laughs>